right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? We are about what? 52 hours, something like that, from the Derek, first KU you, football game? You can't ask me to do math that quickly into the show, man. <laughs> You can't ask me. We're ten seconds uh-huh. into the show. Yeah. You gotta let my. You gotta let the brain warm up a little bit. What is four <laughs> times four? <laughs> no. Um. Yeah, we're we're close, man. You'll be able to hear the game on Friday here on KLWN and our sister station 105.9 Kiss. Going to be out at Big Mill. The broadcast. We're gonna have tickets to give away. We're gonna have T-shirts to give away. All sorts of goodies to give away. So swing on by to Big Mill. It's literally on your way into the stadium. So there's no excuse not to just be like, hey, I'm walking into the stadium anyway. Let me just spin the prize wheel. Say hi. Get some free stuff. DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to the Sunflower State. It won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. To celebrate, all new customers will receive $100 in free bets when you sign up using code KLWN. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. So here's the thing. Sports betting opens up tomorrow. And me and Nick were talking about this before the show. I don't know if it opens up like at midnight, like as soon as the clock strikes midnight, it's tomorrow, sports betting is open. Or if it's like, hey, at 1 p.m. tomorrow or at 4 p.m. tomorrow, something like that, sports betting is going to open up here in Kansas. So here's the thing. To get that free $100 with code KLWN, you have to have signed up by the time it opens up. And to be registered, to have a chance to win the free $100,000 bet, which wouldn't that be nice to have, you have to have registered before tomorrow. So just get it out of the way. Do it right now. If you're driving, pull over, download it. If you're listening to this on the podcast, download it right now. You already have your phone available. Do it before tomorrow. Yeah, it's I would, free I, money. Yeah, I would say just do it tonight. Just, yeah, just do it tonight. That because I I'm not 100 percent sure when it goes live. I think it's I don't think it's at midnight. I think it's there's like a time tomorrow. But just do it tonight, just in case. But yeah, exactly. Do it before just, midnight, just in case to make sure you get your get your money. Yeah. Do it tonight. All you got to do is register. You don't have to like show a picture of your license or anything. You just register. It's super easy. You plug in code KLWN, and once it opens up, you'll get that money deposited into your account. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code KLWN to get $100 in free bets to use once sports mobile betting hits Kansas. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older. Physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. Subject to regulatory licensing requirements. One per customer. $100 issued as $425 free bets. No purchase necessary for sweepstakes. Void where prohibited. Ends first day DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas. See terms at DK ng.co slash ks we're going to take an early look at tennessee tech we'll have more of a preview coming up on friday but what do we know about this team the golden eagles correct yeah the gold the tennessee tech golden mm-hmm. eagles yep like marquette uh, honestly they are kind of a compelling team for a couple different reasons there's there's some mystery around this team 
I think the biggest thing you can look at for Tennessee Tech is they have a new graduate transfer quarterback coming in to start, and they also have an offensive coordinator who this will be his first season ever as an offensive coordinator. So not just his first season at Tennessee Tech, his first season as an offensive coordinator, Wesley Satterfield. He's, he's bounced around to some big programs. He was at Ohio State for a while. Uh, he was at Richmond as well. Now he's at Tennessee Tech. And he, he also was at Austin P, which is where their transfer quarterback, Jeremiah Oatesfall, comes from. He started his career at Austin P. He was actually the Ohio Valley Conference Freshman of the Year in 2017. Played at Austin P for three years. Transferred to Memphis last year, but didn't actually play for Memphis. And now has transferred back down to the FCS level. So even though it's a new quarterback plus a new offensive coordinator, these are two guys that have worked together before and know each other, which I think is interesting. So they already kind of had that developed. Because obviously, I think when you think when you consider that, the relationship between your quarterback and your offensive coordinator or whoever's calling the plays is probably one of the most important relationships in terms of between players and coaches right mm-hmm. on the field is you want your whoever's calling the plays plus your quarterback to be kind of on the same page so the fact that those two guys have already worked together previously at Austin P now coming to Tennessee Tech is is interesting and they went 3 and 8 last year and the other part of this is their offense was not good only 18 points per game last year. They only scored over 28 points twice. In their first four games, they were outscored 162-28. to 28. Mm. They were shut out twice in that span. So the offense was pretty poor. So that's why they went out and they got this graduate transfer, Jeremiah Utsvall, and also new offensive coordinator, Wesley Satterfield, who I was looking into this, and I was telling you this, Derek, before we came on. I was looking into this. He is related to Scott Satterfield somehow, I think, from Louisville. <laughs> I, I swear to you, I Googled uh-huh. everything, and I they, I could not – I don't think he's his brother, but I think there might be cousins or something. I don't know, and I don't want to state something incorrectly. No, I that, think we should take a stab at it. I think we should, Listen, we should assume I, what I, it is. I examined I'm going to go pictures. with third cousin. I examined their pictures. Uh-huh. I examined each picture. Like, did you put I it through, I like, the, the whole, I did the whole CSI facial thing. recognition? Like, yep. yeah. I, did, I did the whole, like, CSI montage, <laughs> like – Cheekbones you know, or exactly, yeah. and my my very inconclusive conclusive um, takeaway was I don't think that they're brothers. They don't look <laughs> like brothers, <laughs> but I don't know. I think he's related to him somehow, though. I feel bad because I I I I, I Google hmm. Scott Satterfield. Like, what if they're lovers? Bios. What if they're married? I I don't know. Did you take that one out of account, Scott? He's married. His name? He's married. Scott Satterfield, the head coach of Louisville, is married with two kids. And to this guy, possibly? No. Question? To, uh, no. This, to her name is Beth. She okay. was she was a track and field star at Appalachian State, which is where Scott mm. went to college also. Mm. So that's how they met. So I that's I unless that's like the most elaborate cover story of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know about that one. Mm. But, but also it's the same this, guy. But also this Wesley Satterfield is much younger. Like much significantly younger. So that's why I'm I'm increasingly not convinced that they're brothers. Well, but, we're gonna have uh, Dylan Vazano on. Yeah, who, maybe uh, he can shed some light on this. Yeah, he does the broadcast for Tennessee I, Tech. I literally I read every word of Wesley Satterfield's bio like it was gospel, and then I went and read Scott Satterfield's bio, and there was nothing. Mm. There was nothing on there that could feasibly connect the two, other than other than in Wesley's bio it talks about how he's from the the Satterfield coaching family, right? Which I would assume Scott Satterfield right. is also a part of that. He's a coach. Yeah, also. you're probably right. So I mean, if you're looking at like what that offense does, I, again, I don't know if he runs the same type of offense, but um, 
you're talking like what Scott Satterfield runs. He came over from Appalachian State to go to Louisville. That's a team who runs a, it's not like quite, I don't know, like read option game, but it's kind of like a spread pistol read option type of game where you're going to have a mobile quarterback who's going to run a good amount, but it's not just pure spread option. Like it's not like a Coastal Carolina. They do pass the ball a good amount, but it is kind of a balanced with the spread option. They like to run the football. And that's that doesn't seem to be really much different than what they were last year. They got a good running back coming back, right? David, I don't know if yeah, it's David Gist. 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 Okay. Yeah, David Gist is probably their best player, maybe on the team. Uh he that jumps off the page at you. Over nine hundred yards rushing. He he's the third leading rusher in the Ohio Valley Conference last season. And he also caught thirty seven passes, which was third most on the team, or second most on the team, I think. And he was an all Ohio Valley Conference preseason selection. So Gist, the running back, is is the guy that you would key in on, but also Quentin Cross is an all all preseason all conference selection at wide receiver. He led the team in catches and in yards receiving last year as well. So they have a couple of nice weapons. It seems like um, running at running back and at wide receiver. And yeah, Jeremiah Oatesfall, he's six one two hundred. I don't get the sense that he's a major runner. He he doesn't didn't put up a ton of running stats at Austin P. So this this could be more of a of a throwing spread, more like a traditional spread style offense, possibly. But I think this kind of question of a new offensive coordinator was first season ever, a transfer quarterback, was kind of reflected in the press conferences we had earlier this week, where there wasn't really a lot of questions about Tennessee Tech because I think, I think at this point, and and maybe Lance Leipold and Brian Borland and Annie Kolnick might agree, might agree with this, is that it seems like they are more focused on what can we do. Mm-hmm to prepare for this game. Not so much we're going to try to scheme up this other Tennessee Tech, right? They're, they're more focused on what's happening internally with their program and making sure everything's lined up there. As They're focused more on that instead of being concerned about trying to game plan for Tennessee Tech, I guess. was kind of, I don't know, that was kind of the takeaway I, I had. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, it's like, well, how are we going to key in on tendencies if they have a new, quarter day, new coordinator on offense, they have a new quarterback, it's a new season, like we're not going to find tendencies. Maybe we can find certain things schematically they like to do, and we'll game plan for that, but you're right. If Kansas plays their A game, if Kansas plays even their B game, they're going to win this game, they're going to win it yeah. by double digits, right? So yeah. it is more about that, and it is more about just getting themselves ready for the start of the season. So I, I, I totally agree with that because you're right. This team, they, you know, um, went three and eight a season ago. Like the Ohio Valley is not this overwhelmingly good FCS conference. Nope. I think that the one thing that is scary is anytime you do take on an FCS team who does have a good quarterback like that that can maybe convert some of those third downs. Overall, though. Really, the biggest opportunity that you're being provided here is if they are an offense that has a good running back. We know KU's defense really struggled against the run last year. Here's your opportunity to go out in the first game of the season against the lesser opponent that you should be able to stop and say, yeah, the run defense has changed. Yeah. Yeah. Now, does that scare you at all, though, on the flip side of that, where it's like Tennessee Tech's possibly best part of their offense, their running back, was KU's biggest weakness last year defensively? Well, I think, counterpoint to that, mm-hmm. KU's defense as a whole struggled. So, obviously, the run game was maybe where they struggled the most, but it wasn't like they had a great passing defense and the run defense was not very good. It was problems at all three levels of the defense, right? So, I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from with that, but I would say, especially hearing from Brian Borland, he, he's looking to improve the defense holistically. We're not just talking about, well, we need to fix the run run defense. It's everything, right? Or it's everything that you want to see improve, right? 
So, yeah, you have a good opportunity to, to shut down the running game against a running back who is one of the top running backs in, in the conference in the Ohio Valley. And you should be able to do that if you're KU. You should be able to, to do that pretty easily, I would think. And so it will be a test early, no questions about that. And regardless of the opponent, it's it's week one. You know, you're going to have to – you're probably going to be game planning more for yourself anyways than you are for your opponent. And I think that was pretty evident with the discussions we've heard around KU is we're going to focus on ourselves, we're going to try to play our best football, and if we do that, we should be able to comfortably win this game. So you have an interesting note here on the defense. It looks like they bring back an all-conference guy, Josh Relaford, uh, defensive back, right? Yep, yep. Third down defense was good last year, but I, I don't know if I view that as something that's like, oh, that has to carry over every year. The interesting yeah. note to me is that they led the Ohio Valley in run defense, allowing just over 140 yards per game. Yep. That is kind of interesting because it's the flip side, right? It's yeah. their yeah, strength it's their on strength defense. Against, against KU. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that is interesting because their their defense wasn't horrible. I mean, it was really their offense that was really their 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 biggest problem just looking at the stats from last season, their defense gave up 31.8 points per game, which sounds kind of bad, but I don't think that's really that horrible, really. Uh, but, yeah, and they had their 223 yards per game passing, only 142 on the ground, which was best in the Ohio Valley. So they didn't have the best run defense in the conference. And for the past week plus, we've been sitting here talking about how we expect that KU is probably going to put an emphasis on the run game early because that's their position of strength. And here's a chance to put it on display against uh, a defense that, at least at the FCS level, had some success stopping the run. So it's a great opportunity for Devin Neal, for Kai Thomas, for Sevion Morrison to, to, to prove themselves, and even Daniel Highshot to prove themselves and, and, and start, start the season off on a strong foot. And I'll be curious, especially from like the standpoint of Devin Neal, if KU does jump out pretty significantly early, how much of... Devin Neal, Jalen Daniels, how much of those guys are we going to see later into the game? If it's, you know, if it's thirty-five to three at halftime, or twenty-eight to nothing at halftime, are those guys? We heard from Matt Tate yesterday saying he expects Jason Bean to play quite a bit, assuming that assuming that KU does have a, a, a nice lead. Do you agree with that? I mean, do you think that that Bean is going to be seeing more time, or do, or even like from Devin Neal's standpoint, guys like Sevion Morris and Daniel Highshaw are going to see more time? in the second half, if this game does kind of go how we think it could go? No, I, I, I do think that they're going to want to get the backups in there if the score is in hand to where, like, how would you, How would you define in hand? Um, it's 35-3 to three midway through the third quarter. What about, like, 35-10 to 10 or 35-13? to 13? Like, where's your cutoff? No, at that point, because that's still a three-score game, the 13-1. Um so if it has it's to be at least a four-score game. Yeah, yeah, I think that's about right. Okay. So if it's if it's thirty-five ten, you know, and you're you're heading into the fourth quarter, like yeah, I, I think you can probably afford. But probably also it it depends on. I mean, there there just is no like straight situation where it's like, well, it has to be this cutoff and and here. Yeah. But I think oh, that's, that's just kind of a given of what it would be. The question is if you can get it to that point, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, because this very well. What if it's and it's seven nothing after the first quarter, and then it's fourteen to seven at halftime, and then it's twenty four to ten at the end of the third quarter, and then KU finds two touchdowns to pull away at thirty eight ten. But there's five minutes left. If it's fourteen to seven at halftime, are you concerned? 
No, I don't think so. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sitting there going, man. Can you believe the turnaround of this team, right? <laughs> but I don't think I would be overly concerned because I think you could have a game where it's just kind of ho hum, where it's super vanilla on both ends of the ball. You don't want to give up too much away with a Big Twelve game in the second week of the season. That if you don't have to put it on tape, why do it? And from that standpoint, could start a little slow against a team who's ramped up for their biggest game of the season at that point. If it's 14-7 at halftime and then you win 38-10, to 10, like, no, you're not really going to be sweating it that yeah. much. But, I mean, on the flip side of that, you want to be able to run stuff that you want to execute in a game before you play your Big 12 opponent, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you don't, I think, I understand the argument there, but I don't think you want to be too vanilla. Like, you want to run some stuff that you expect to be running against these tougher opponents, against Big 12 opponents, just to make sure you can execute it in, in a game, right? Yeah, I mean, some of your basic stuff, you don't want to give away... Like your bread and butter stuff, that's going to be on tape every week. So you might yeah. as well keep running. But you you might not want to give away a trick play. Now there there are certain sides of it where it's like, well, maybe we'll throw one trick play on there. Maybe we'll throw this weird formation on there just to put something on tape that it's going to cause the other team to spend extra time to get ready for. But outside of that, no, I I think that listen based on if you Andy, don't have to based on Andy Kolnick's comments. I think there's going to be some wacky formations. Based I think there might be a couple, but I don't think they're going to unload the whole playbook. No, 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 not in this game. I'm just saying, I'm just speaking in terms of the whole season. I think we're going to mm-hmm. see more and more interesting or unique formations because he seems like, based off what he's saying, that he's very confident and comfortable in doing that. I mean, he told, he said he said he, if he had 10 offensive linemen that were all really good, he would put them all on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> he said that. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what kind of different things he he will concoct on the offensive side of the ball. And I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see very much of it this week. That I was that was more of just a comment on this whole season. I think we could see some some interesting things over this, that and the other from the offense. But yeah, I understand. I mean and and again it will depend on how close the game is. If if the game stays close, maybe you might see some more stuff from KU than what you would want to see otherwise in terms of things you put on tape, right? Like, if it's a closer game, then you, you need to win the game. So you're going to have to run some different yeah. stuff. You know? Yeah, well, ideally, it's not. He's Nick Springer. <laughs> I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some uh, KU football coach audio to share for you on the other side. This is RCST. It's about a quarter till four here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Nick, how, how many hours till the uh, first game now? 51, 51, hey, 15. <laughs> um, let's see. Let me do just quick. quick uh, math. Not working. 40, I don't know. 49. All right. Well, it is uh, time to talk to Dylan Vazano. He uh, is a broadcaster for Texas, Tennessee Tech, excuse me, for the uh, Golden Eagles Sports Network. And he's coming out for the game and whatnot. It's actually cool. They have a, uh, one of the, the stations who owns our station, owns a station out there in Cookville. And they're doing a promotion where they have. A bunch of uh, fans get to travel with the team and whatnot and come on out, which which I think is really cool. But, Dylan, I appreciate you joining us today on the show. As you come into this matchup, I would imagine from, like, the outside perspective, you know, whenever you have an FCS team that's taken on Kansas and you see that on the schedule, you're like, hey, maybe this is our opportunity to get an FBS win. Is, is that kind of the thought from the local area, or what is kind of the overarching view headed into this season for the Golden Eagles? Yeah, I think, first of all, great to be here. Appreciate you guys having me on. 
I think any time you, you go into the annual FBS game, maybe like not all of them are created equally. You know going into it, okay, we're probably, you know, we know we're not favored in a game like this. You know you're going to have a, a tough challenge ahead of you. Tennessee Tech has never beaten a current FBS opponent. But we also know that my first year here we played Wisconsin, and then a couple years later we played a Ball State. You know, no disrespect to a Ball State, but those are two completely different opponents. Last year we played the University of Tennessee. We've played Tennessee a couple of times. So it is a little bit different when you, you see a Kansas team, and obviously the first thing that comes to your mind, okay, Power 5, Big 12, and, and a big-time program, big-time budget, everything like that. But you see the record last year, you see the record over the years, and, and you know that there's a little bit different than if you're going into a nationally ranked or an, an SEC school or, like I mentioned earlier, Wisconsin. So there's a little bit of a difference, but at the end of the day, it still is a Power 5 and it still is an FBS opponent. Bill, I'm curious about the offense coming into the season for Tennessee Tech. They've got a brand-new offensive coordinator, a transfer quarterback. What What are your expectations for the Tennessee Tech offense, an offense that on paper seemed like they struggled a bit last season? Yeah, I think, I think curious is the best word because I'm right there with you guys. Anytime you get a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback, those are usually the two biggest pieces when you're talking about an offense. You probably include offensive line in that. So a lot of us around Cookville, a lot of us around the program are like, okay, what are, what are we dealing with this year? I think last year the offense did struggle, like you said. Part of that was there was some uncertainty at the quarterback position. But you have a new quarterback, Jeremiah Oatesfall, who at our level in the Ohio Valley Conference, he tore it up. He rejuvenated an Austin P program. He was the former OVC Freshman of the Year, all-conference performer. He ends up going to Memphis. He doesn't play there. So I think the, the biggest question mark with an injury to him in 2019, with uh, COVID in 2020, and so he only played, I think, like three games in the fall for Austin P. did not play last year. He really hasn't been a starting quarterback for an entire year since 2018. So you kind of wonder, okay, what's that going to be? He does have a good track record. He does have a good resume. And the new offensive coordinator, Wesley Satterfield, was his offensive coordinator while they had a lot of success at Austin P. So I think there's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of uncertainty, but I would say it's optimism. I would say there's a lot to be positive about because we return a lot of the, the weapons, the, the receivers, our running back, David Giss, an all-conference performer. And when you talk about offensive line, one of the most, I think, significant factors in college football with an offensive line is experience, and we have a lot of experience. So I think a lot of the puzzle pieces fit together, and we'll just have to see what happens with the quarterback and then how this offense with a new coordinator gels. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that with Wesley Satterfield and Oatesfall. The fact that those two guys, yes, they're both new to the program, but the fact that they already have – work together in the past. Do you think that's important in terms of coming in and trying to get the offense going for you guys early? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, I actually just had the chance to, to hear from Jeremiah and hear from, from Coach Satterfield. And Jeremiah, one of the things, I mean, he's, he's in his sixth year playing college football, so he's an older guy. 
he, he has a presence about him, a maturity level about him. And one of the things that stood out to me is when Coach Satterfield got the job and, and he mentioned, well, he has a lot on his plate right now, so it's good that our transition will be a little bit less because we're so familiar with each other. He developed me at a young age. He developed me when I was a freshman and a sophomore, and we had that sort of success. Because when you're an offensive coordinator, as you guys know, and you're coming to a new situation, one of the, the, the biggest factors is my quarterback and, and getting on the same page and the play call and the cadence and, and, and how I like to operate and how he likes to operate. But you have that relationship. You're already coming in ahead of the game. So that, I think, to answer your question, yeah, I think that's, that's a big factor, especially with a new, new I don't want to say system for them because they might know each other, but a new scenario, a new situation, a new school. So having that existing prior relationship, I think, will, will make the transition smoother, quicker, and overall easier. When you mentioned David Gist and, and being a really good running back, that's something that uh, I think immediately becomes an alert for KU, they gave up over six yards per carry last year. They were worst among Power 5 teams, last in the Big 12 in that regard. They were one of the worst in the country there, uh, just struggling against the run. And, and they've tried to revamp the linebacking core with some transfers and seem deeper this year. But that, I think, immediately becomes a, oh, this team's strength could be the other team's weakness, e even if, if Kansas has maybe more Power 5 players and whatnot. Uh, what made the running game so good for Tennessee Tech last year? Was it a situation where Gist was putting up big numbers just because they didn't really have anything else, or was he just a really talented player that, that found his way into uh, big gains? Yeah, he, he's a stud. He's a very good running back because he's one of those running backs that does a lot of things well. He's not just a speed burner kind of a guy. You get him out in space and he's off to the races. He has speed, of course, don't get me wrong, but his ability to show patience, let the blocks develop. That's uh, from some of his experience and, and being a veteran on this team. He's great in the pass-catching game. You, you look at the stats, and that will jump out to you that he's that dual threat in terms of just running the ball, but then also catching the ball and being a weapon in that regard. He's shifty. He, he has a lot in his arsenal in terms of playmaking capabilities if he needs to, to go with a juke, if he needs to, to stutter step, if, if it's a power situation, because he does have some good size to him as well. So I think he's one of those, your prototypical three-down back. You can use him in the passing game. You can run him on first and second down. So he, without a doubt, that, that's our biggest, Tennessee Tech's biggest weapon, running the ball. I think credit, though, and this is something I, I sort of spoke of earlier, has to go to the offensive line, too, because of the experience. A lot of older players, a lot of returning players, a lot of starters over the last few years. So you get that element of a playmaker at the running back position with a continuity on offensive line with that sort of veteran leadership and experience. I, you can see why he would have success. Now you go to a game like a Kansas and in my experiences, and I think generally speaking, the biggest difference between the FCS and the FBS, and particularly FCS and, and Power 5, is the line and up front. Like, are you able to have that push on the offensive line? Are you able to move the big guys up front? So I think that that will be something to look at for a potential 
I don't want to say concern of Tennessee Tech, but maybe a question mark of Tennessee Tech. But if they're able to have some success up front, David Gitz is the kind of player that can take over a game. Dylan, kind of similar along that line of thought. On the defensive side, Tennessee Tech was best in the Ohio Valley against the run. KU has multiple really talented running backs that they're very excited about. How do you think that could pan out? How do you think the defense might handle some of the talent that KU has in their own backfield? Yeah, everything you hear when you talk about KU and you talk about you know, what do they do well as a football team, and of course this is from an outsider coming into this game and doing prep and getting a chance to speak with people and, and talking to our coaching staff. And, and I know I had a chance to catch up with one of Kansas broadcasters, David Lawrence, and we kind of spoke about that, was the running backs and, and was what they bring to the table. So I think that if you're looking at a potential where it could go in Kansas' favor without just the general, hey, FBS versus FCS, that would be one of the, the places to look at. I think for Tennessee Tech, the defense features a lot of returners, features a lot of leaders. Seth Carlisle, linebacker, he's someone that has been a Golden Eagle the last few years, has been a huge part of this Tennessee Tech defense. Josh Relaford, the safety position, he's an all-OVC performer, preseason all-OVC guy. So there's leadership there. There is some changes up front. Lost a couple of playmakers at the defensive line. So the linebacking core, the secondary, mostly returners, but you can't potentially have some success up front. And then, like you mentioned in, in, in kind of what I spoke about, is yeah, that, that would be a, a concern. That would be a, a threat. That could be an area where Kansas could have an edge because, like you said, there, there is a lot of good running backs, and that appears to be, based on what I know, one of the strengths of the Kansas offense. Absolutely. You mentioned a couple guys on the defense, but I was curious from tennis, from the Tennessee Tech standpoint, who is a player or two that you think is maybe under the radar that could potentially make an impact in this game against KU? Potentially under the radar that could make an impact in this game. I think first offensively, I'm looking at a guy like Metrius Fleming. He's a wide receiver who the last couple of years, if you look at the fall of 2021 and then FCS football in the Ohio Valley Conference, we played in the spring of 2021. So if you look at the last couple of years, you're thinking, okay, his numbers don't jump out. He hardly played. He was a little beat up. He had some injuries. But this is an athlete who exploded on the scene in 2019, which is crazy because that's already three years ago, but super fast playmaking capabilities, kind of got lost in the shuffle the last couple of years, but I think he's a guy that you can absolutely rely on offensively. It makes Tennessee Tech's offense that much more explosive because they do have some good weapons like David Giss, Quentin Cross is a receiver who's an all-OVC performer, and Demetrius Fleming is kind of the forgotten guy in this because it's been three years, but he's somebody that is just so explosive, like I said. So that'd be somebody I circle. Defensively, Ty Carter was a former all-OVC linebacker. He plays a lot of nickel coverage. He was injured last year, so same sort of a thing. You almost you look at the Tech defense, and you think, oh, right, of course, Ty Carter's back. You forget about him. So I think those are one offense, one defense, Fleming and Carter, that like would fit that mold under the radar unsung, but if they have the capabilities to get back to what they can be, they could make a, an impact and be a factor in this game under the radar. 
Dylan, I had one final question for you. I want to I want to ask you a little bit about the tabula rosa, uh, rasa, the uh, Latin thing to go along with the centennial celebration for Tennessee Tech. What does that mean to the program? And tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, tabula rasa is, is okay. what I've been hearing. I'm, I'm, okay, uh, I wasn't trying to pronounce you it. <laughs> you hear that? Well, I, I had been instructed multiple times. Like, what is it? Tabula rasa is what they say. So I was like, what, what are we doing? What, what is this about? And apparently it's going to be engraved on the backside of the helmet. It means a new slate. It means clean slate. I think it's a Latin term, I want to say. But essentially they were looking a lot of the, the, the newer players, Jeremiah Oatesfall, the offense was kind of looking, okay, like what could be a slogan for this season? And I think the, the term re-energized was floated out there, and they're like, okay, maybe that'll work, but we want to kind of jazz it up a little bit. And, and Jeremiah, which is great to see, he kind of took charge, quarterback, leader, and he, he discovered Tabula Rasa, and he discovered clean slate, blank slate. You know, new situation for him as the starting quarterback, new school. New offensive coordinator, essentially new offense, which could mean a new look football team. 100-year anniversary, big deal for Tennessee Tech football. Anytime you hit a milestone like that, you're getting triple digits. There's a lot of excitement at Tennessee Tech, the school, the athletic department, the football program. So I think you couple that all together, and there's a sentiment of like, hey, why not us? Like, why not? Can't this be the year? We return a lot of players. We return offense, defense. We got the quarterback lined up. We've got the offensive coordinator. So I think he, Jeremiah came up with that. I think it just kind of stuck. It, 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 everyone's kind of getting used to it. And but that's what what the meaning behind Tabula Rasa is. <laughs> Well, Dylan, I appreciate it and appreciate you making some time to hop on the show today. And if you need any recommendations while you're here in uh, Lawrence, feel free to reach out, man. We appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, that's Dylan Vizzano, Tennessee Tech broadcaster for the Golden Eagle Sports Network. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, one hour down, two to go. It's officially that time we get to our RCST Trivia Championship. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, the Kansas Lottery, for the NASCAR Speedway Series coming in uh, about a week and a half, and Johnny's Tavern as well. It's all whittled down to this. Michael taking on Blake. Here is the matchup that you've all been waiting for. It is time for the RCST Trivia Championship. I know the KU football game is this Friday. Some are saying this is even bigger than that. And, you know, who am I to counter against that? We've got Blake McFarland taking on Michael Plank. Winner of this wins the trivia championship. Winner of this adds on some more prizes. They get a championship trophy from Jayhawk Trophy. They also get a $145 gift card to a local place that you can buy a bunch of KU gear. You can do with it whatever you want. You can buy a jersey. You can buy a bunch of shirts. Whatever you want to do, that thanks to 23rd Street Brewery. So a lot online. Plus, most importantly, you get the title of being the trivia champion. You get lifetime entrance into this thing. So, Michael, we'll start with you. You're ranked fourth, but, you know, we know that pretty much whoever wins this is probably going to be number one. Uh, you are four and one, 90 points scored, and you the last two weeks, or, or the last two matchups, I should say, have been on point in the really hard round. You hit it against Ben to win the division, get to the playoff. You hit it last matchup against Blake to move on here. Now you're trying to take down another Blake in the final round. Uh, Michael, 
talk to me about, I, I guess, the whirlwind that has gone on because these are three matchups now for you all within less than a week. Is this starting to become mentally draining at all? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but uh, it's uh, it's it's been fun. And uh, the last two weeks, I, and we talked about it, you know, uh, in the first round of the playoffs, it's it's all about luck, man. Um, you know, there's a couple questions that uh, there's that one I guessed on. And and uh, so, you know, just cross your fingers and hope for some more luck from the football gods. That, that's that's all we got going over here. Um, Blake looks a lot more confident than I do. Well, Blake, how's your confidence level in this one? Are you going to get revenge for all the Blakes out there after what Michael did to Blake Farrell in the semifinal? Yeah, the only Blake I care about is Blake uh, Whit McFarland. Uh, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, I'm feeling good. Uh, it's a championship. I mean, look, you ranked me eighth and I made the playoffs and only four teams make it. So I don't really understand your math on that one between you and Scott. Um, but There's a third you know, voter look, as well. I don't even know who that is. I'm going to assume he's on my side. Uh, but, look, uh, we made it this far. Uh, job's not done. And uh, assuming you don't pull some rabbit out of the hat and have us, you know, know who the holder is in the 1912 K-State game, um, I think we'll be, uh, we'll be okay to get some questions right and have some fun. All right. Well, um, let's, let's get into it. Let's get into our first questions. Uh, but first – I have to do the uh, honorary coin toss, and uh, somebody stole my quarter again. So, I, uh, I I have a a bottle cap in front of me, and I have one side of the bottle cap is empty, the other side is the top of the bottle cap. So this is going to be the most bootleg way of determining the coin toss, um, Michael. Uh, is it a soda bottle cap or a adult soda bottle cap? <laughs> it is a soda bottle cap that is a twist on. So. Okay. Uh, Michael, you're the higher ranked team. I'm going to give you the the choice of uh, empty side of the bottle cap or filled in side of the bottle cap. Uh, empty side. I I don't know. <laughs> All right, it is the uh, filled in side. And yeah, honestly, I, this was something where we started recording. I saw the quarter wasn't here. Somebody took it again, and uh, yeah, that's what we just had to deal with. So uh, Blake gives you the option do you want to go first or do you want to go second uh the other they say filled inside never fails uh, i'll go first <laughs> all right like gonna go first i mean it's all chance anyway with who gets what and what questions come up and once we get to the choose your own adventure round it'll be whoever's losing goes first as part of that and then if we get to overtime we will do another flip okay Blake, you up first in the easy round. These are worth three points. Who was KU's new head coach in 2021? Uh, man, who would that be? Uh, <laughs> not Mangino, not Turner Gill, uh, Lance Leipold. Lance Leipold is correct. And there is your first three points of the game. Okay, Michael, your first question of the day. Who was KU's new head coach prior to Lance Leipold's joining the team in 2019? Mm, not Nick Saban. Not Urban Meyer. Let's go with Les Miles. That is right. Love the gamesmanship here. And yes, it would have been nice if it was Nick Saban. <laughs> uh, Les Miles is the correct answer. Three to three the score. And we are through the first quarter play. All tied up in our championship matchup brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and Kansas Lottery. 
Okay, on to the second round of questions. These are the medium rounds into the second quarter, and they're worth six points. Blake, for you first. This Jayhawk receiver transferred in from Texas A&M and played his final season at KU in 2016. Yeah, okay. So Sternberger went from Kansas to A&M. Uh, was that uh, Gonzalez? I can't think of his first oh. name. Yep, that was Gonzalez, Laquiviante Gonzalez, the correct answer there. Um, played his final season in 2016. I think he got booted off the team. There was some off-the-field stuff going on. So Blake scores six in the medium round of questions. Mike, your first medium round question. This Jayhawk running back finished out his college career transferring from KU to Virginia Tech for the 2020 season. Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert, the correct answer, just kind of up and left midway yeah. in that 2019 season before finishing off his career in 2020, and then he was drafted by the Chicago Bears, which he's currently on their roster. Okay, 9-9 nine to nine the score. You're both perfect through two rounds of questions, and now is when things really start to get heated up into the hard round. These are worth seven points. First for you, Blake. Name this Jayhawk who led the 2017 team in kick return yards. Stephon Robinson? That is incorrect. The correct answer is Ryan Shadler. Ah, oh, he got the kick return touchdown, yep. Yep. Okay, Michael, you got a chance to take the lead here at the end of the third quarter. Steven Sims returned 12 of the 13 punts that KU had a chance to in 2017. Who returned the other punt going for four yards? 2017? Yes. Twenty. Uh, 10 seconds. Kind of want to go with Shadler again, but I don't. Throw something out there. You got a couple seconds. Um, let's go with Sh Shadler. No, it's Tyler Patrick. Patrick. Tyler uh. Patrick is the correct answer there. All right. No harm, no foul. 9 9 the score. We head into the really hard round. So. Blake, chance to uh, get a big one right here. This Jayhawk offensive guard was all Big Eight in both 1992 and 1993. What's his name? I'm not going to get it. Uh... Oh, man, I can think of the defensive tackle on that team. Uh, I don't know. Let's say Willie Plus, just to say a name. He's on the defensive end. Yeah, the correct answer is John Jones. Not related to John Bones Jones, I believe. But John Jones is the uh, correct answer there. And just like that, Michael, I mean, we have the, the two-rounded fourth quarter here. But you have a chance to do what you did to the last Blake, which by hitting your first fourth quarter would force him to answer another really hard just to force a tie. 
and allow you to answer an easy. You've been nails in this really hard round. Let's see if you can do it again here in the championship matchup. Michael, this Jayhawk offensive guard was all big eight in both 1993 and 1994. What's his name? All big eight. Yes. Um, Ten seconds. Hempstead. Hesley Hempstead is the correct answer, and Michael has done it again in the really hard rounds. And just like that, the pressure is on, Blake. You now have to answer really hard and then hope that Michael misses an easy. Unless you or, would just like or, to or medium. He can get weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Blake, you ready for this really hard question? Sure. In KU's 2016 season opening win over Rhode Island, what Jayhawk led the team with nine carries? Hmm. Okay. Who am I been on my team? We'll go clear here, but I can't think of who else would have been there. But it's probably wrong. Is incorrect. The correct answer is Denzel Evans. I don't even know who that is, but he led the team and carries that game. Denzel Evans in that game. So, Michael, congratulations. You have won the trivia championship here. Again, you're really hard. Gets you. Do you want to answer one more really hard just for the fun of it? <laughs> I didn't know either of the other two, but you know what? Let's give it a shot. In KU's 2016 season opening win over Rhode Island, what Jayhawk defender notched the team's lone interception? Oh boy. Um... <laughs> lone interception. Let's see, Smithson or Lee, maybe? I, ugh. I think it's the D lineman. Fish missing. I, yeah, that's a guess. No, the correct answer is Bazzy Bates, the fourth. <laughs> fourth. Of course it so was. So that does it. And Michael, once again, you have, for the third straight round, you have answered a really hard question that led to you winning. Just dramatic finish after dramatic finish for you. So congratulations, man. What are your thoughts? What's going through your head uh, after coming away with this victory? Oh, man, I... I don't even know, man. Um, I just got like, because I was thinking on both of those, I was thinking Keith Loniker, but then I was thinking maybe he was more early 90s. So I just went with the next name that came in my head. And I don't even know if Loniker was all conference or not, but he was the first one I thought of. So, but it just didn't feel right. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a whirlwind. I, I don't know what to tell you. Well, Blake, it's tough. You get all the way to this point, and you, you've accrued a bunch of prizes, so you don't go home empty-handed, and, and you've clearly earned, I think, the committee's respect, and uh, maybe there wasn't enough of it to begin with, but uh, what's the question that you're going to look back on the most and, and be like, man, I, I wish I would have got that right, or is it just one where you just tip your cap to Michael and say, you know, just 
he just found a way to win. No, I'll definitely tip my cap to Michael. I mean, 90s Jayhawk offensive lineman isn't really my forte being born <laughs> in 95. Um, but, you know, could have done a little bit more research there. Uh, I don't even remember what my hard question was, Derek. So, I mean, honestly, you could probably ask me it again, and I don't think I'll get it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it was good. There's a lot of fun. Uh, lost to a true champ. So, uh, I think uh, I think we'll be good. And, uh, you know, start the uh, off-season storylines for uh, – for next year when uh, hopefully we, we get in opposite groups and see each other again in the final. And Blake, uh, do some campaigning. Where should you be preseason ranked for next season? Number two, right? I mean, oh. at, the, at the end of the day, you get to the final and you win your way in. There's, I believe no one is undefeated at this point, right? So I have, I have two losses with one coming in the final. There's, there's no reason to not put me number two because – at the end of the day, what sports is all about is winning the game in front of you and beating your opponent. And I did that to the second highest ability of anyone out there. So, you know, you can, you can say other people have style points or they have uh, better wins, uh, but I won all the way to the championship. And if Michael didn't have a vast knowledge of KU offensive alignment in the 90s, we'd be having <laughs> this conversation going on here and maybe even a little different. Hey, mid-90s was my sweet spot. My first game was 93, so, you know, that, that was right up my alley. Yeah, I would, as soon as Derek said 90 offensive linemen, it was like, I couldn't even – if you told me to name an offensive lineman in, 19, in the <laughs> 90s, I wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten it. Well, and Derek got me with uh, the Wanaker question a couple weeks ago, so I was uh, – that's why I wasn't feeling quite right on it this time, so. Yeah, well, you got it through this time. That's all that matters. Uh, Michael, it's – it's also you're you're a trivia newcomer. Uh, this is your first time in any of our events with basketball, and, and this is obviously our first football one. So, um, you know, it's it's pretty special to do that on your first try and everything. Um, I, I guess are you going to have any special celebrations tonight? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, I mean, there's just there's so many great KU basketball fans out there that probably know a lot more than I do. You know, so um, you know the my. My curse, I guess, is is being a KU football fan, and then oh hey, cool, we have a really good basketball program type type of deal. I it's great, but you know, like I, for whatever reason, I just fell in love with the football program, and 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 and, and you know, here we are. But uh, uh, but yeah, you guys can enjoy your basketball thing. I won't intrude on that. So. <laughs> well, guys, I appreciate it. Great seasons from both of you. You're both getting a bunch of prizes. Michael, adding a few more with that hundred forty five dollar gift card. And uh, also the championship trophy, which uh, will uh, find a time when, when you're able to, to make your way up here and come to a KU football game or something. You can pick everything up. But, guys, good yeah. work, and we appreciate you both being a part of this. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Mike. So, Michael Plank, your winner for RCS teacher. We've had a different winner for all three of our versions of basketball and our version of football, which is awesome. We get uh, all sorts of different players, and I think we're going to have some other players who – have been really good in basketball that are going to be part of football next year too. So it should be even even – we'll probably make the, the pool a little bit deeper and we might add a few teams here or there. Maybe we add one to each division, something like that. And then um, we're going to expand the playoffs to eight teams. Because I think you saw over the course of, of these bowl games, outside of that one, so that was the lone exception of all the bowl games, outside of Michael just beating Blake there, the lower seed or the, the worst seed, so to speak, won the bowl game. So it just shows how much – 
I don't know how close everyone is in knowledge and, and how tough this thing is that a lot of times it does just come down to the luck of the questions and whatnot. And uh, just a lot of fun getting to do it this year. We really enjoyed everybody who was a part of it. Appreciate everybody for joining. Uh, for everybody who made a bowl game, once again, you're getting a gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern. You are getting a RCST engraved Jayhawk Tumbler from Jayhawk Trophy, and you're getting two tickets to the Kansas Speedway on September 10th. If you want a bowl game, you're getting two more tickets to the Kansas Speedway and the Kansas Lottery 150 and 300. Um, you're also getting an extra gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, an extra gift card to Johnny's Tavern, and then for the championship winner, Michael Plank, he gets a $145 gift card thanks to 23rd Street Brewery to a place that you can go get some KU gear. You can get whatever you like, have your own uh, fun shopping spree, and also the championship trophy and lifetime entrance. And then obviously Justin won the Heisman where he gets a $25 gift card to that same uh, place that you can go get some KU gear and a pair of those NASCAR tickets as well. It's been super fun. We hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did and, and stuff. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, to doing trivia next year, and we'll start up with basketball trivia coming up in the spring. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Some other news to get to today. So before we get into this Big 12 stuff, this was from earlier from Pete Thamel. Or, or I'm sorry, this was uh, earlier from uh, Ross Dellinger. College football pres- playoff presidents on Friday are expected to determine the next evolution of the playoff with a potential vote to expand in 2026 and, if unanimous, as early as 2024. What's the perfect number of teams? For me, in your eyes, um, either six or eight. For me, I'm okay. not a huge fan of the twelve. But you also see so you were you were calling playoff games at an FCS school, which yes. that's what twenty four now. Uh, yes. Did you like it being that big? Uh, yeah. I mean, I it was it was fun. Uh, it was UIW. They made the playoffs for the first time. That was last fall, and they played a game against Stephen F. Austin, won. They advanced to the quarterfinals. They played Sam Houston, who was the number one team. Yeah, it was it was fun, and I I enjoyed it. And, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess at, at the at the time that I was doing it, it was like, it was fun, but I don't, I don't think it would be good to have that at the FBS mm-hmm. level. Like, because uh, I think at the, at the FCS level, there's enough parity. There's mm-hmm. enough, like, pretty good teams that can make a run. I mean, I know it's been like North Dakota State, Sam Houston for a long time, James Madison. I know I know it's been kind of the same schools that have been near the top, but there's, I mean, the top 25 teams in FCS are all pretty close as far as I can tell after spending two years working in that at that level, whereas I don't think that's the case at the FBS level. I think at the FBS level, you have your clear-cut programs that are just above everybody else. And then you have a lot of programs that are in that like tier right below that, but not there, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's it, it's it's the same rule as like the NFL, any given Sunday, any given Saturday, right? But like to a certain point, I'm kind of a I'm kind of the opinion that more playoff games. It just I don't I don't want to sound like a crotchety old person here by saying it it dilutes the regular season no but i mean, I, mean I think is, it does yeah. i think it does yeah it, it 
It's less of a conversation of the idea of diluting the regular season in sports like the NBA or or you know MLB, where it's like okay, but the the season is so long. Of course, like it's already games. diluted. Yeah, you know play, what I mean? Play a billion games. Yeah. But with college football, that's always been the edge that it has had on other sports. That's always been one of the the beauties of college sports that the regular season is so meaningful there. So I think you're right, and I also think you run into a, a situation where it's like if you go too far, there becomes a certain point where it's like. Well, what's what's more fun if you're a fan of the school or if you are the school? Is it winning a bowl game to cap off your season or is it winning your first round playoff game and then losing in the round of 16? Definitely winning a bowl game. I would I would think. I would agree. So, if you if you're like a if you're like a perennial 7 and 5 team and you get into a bowl and you win, you know, whatever, that to me is more better than losing in the playoffs. Yeah. So, I guess th- there's a certain line there. So, I don't know, what would you do do you agree? Do you, okay. have, do you like four, six, eight? I'll be honest. I eight, I, I'm still a proponent of the BCS. Let's just go back. <laughs> Honestly, I I don't I don't entirely disagree with that. Listen, when the playoff first arose and we had the discussions about the expansions, so this is like you know four or five years ago, longer than that, I guess now, like six, seven years ago. But anyways, I was always of the idea of eight teams, mm-hmm. all five Power Five champions, highest rated group of five. Two wild cards. It just makes so much sense. It makes the most sense. See, that's why but, I'd be fine with six because you can still accomplish that just yeah, without six, the wild cards. Yeah, right? then, then, yeah, then six, six. I guess you would just do the power five champions and mm-hmm. then the highest rated group of five. Yeah. But here's the issue now that I'm running into when thinking about this: the landscape of the conferences is changing so dramatically and so quickly to the point now where the Pac-12 champion might be, like, the 15th best team in the country. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get in over a bunch of other schools, right? Yeah. So, at the time that I was that I thought that eight would make the most sense, it was at a time when there was at least two or three schools in each conference that were, you know, perennial top schools. I think that's a good point. It does make me wonder if there would be just a, a permanent eight-team playoff, and that's, you know foreseeable future of what they were going to do and that was in place like would some of this realignment not have happened uh, yeah i don't i don't know exactly like what like the usc's the ucla's of the world would they have stayed in the pac-12 if they were guaranteed a playoff spot to the champion of the conference every year or would oklahoma and texas jump to the sc i mean i mean seriously like oklahoma and texas jump to the sec First of all, Texas hasn't been back in forever. We always make the joke. <laughs> and Oklahoma, they just lost Lincoln Riley. We don't know what they're going to look like this year. So they're both those schools are, at very least, on a slightly downward trend. Like, mm-hmm. maybe Texas, you could argue, is on the upward trend, but I don't know if you can argue that right now. And now they're going to a much tougher conference, right? But if if the Big 12 had gone to them, or the you know the CFB playoff committee or whatever had gone to them and said, hey, you're going to get a guaranteed playoff spot every year. For the champion of the Big 12. Would Oklahoma have jumped to the SEC? Would Texas have jumped to the SEC? If they knew that if they want, all they had to do was win the conference, all they had to do was beat KU, beat K State, beat Iowa State, all these programs that are good but not great, I get, you know, whatever, right? Like instead, now you look at Oklahoma or Texas, they're going to have to go play Auburn and Texas AM and Alabama and LSU just to even have a chance of whiffing the playoff, right? So that is an interesting point because, I, I mean, I understand that still the financial aspect of it is what's most important. So maybe, I don't know if a guaranteed playoff spot would have outweighed the possibility of 
doubling their media rights money or whatever for some of the for Texas and Oklahoma. Probably whatever. still not, but maybe the the payouts would be more even if that were the case, right? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, but but again, to to circle back, basically my point is now I'm not so sure that eight teams with a guaranteed spot for the Power Five champions plus highest grade group five. I'm not sure if that's the best option now because now you have in you have imbalanced conferences. I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten are by far the two best conferences. And then in the ACC, you have Clemson, mm-hmm. and they might leave. And in the Pac-12, you have Oregon, and they might leave. And that's it right now, right, in terms of top program. I mean, I mean Utah, I guess, but I don't really know you can put them in that, put them in that, in that category. Yeah. And even the Big 12, even the Big 12 with no Oklahoma and Texas, who's your, who, your, is your perennial program then Oklahoma State? I mean, so Cincinnati, baby. It just doesn't. It doesn't make nearly as much sense now as it did when we were making these arguments back in 2018, 2017 of, oh, eight teams, you know, Power Five champions, all everybody's guaranteed high school group five, two wild cards. Like, it made so much sense back then. But now, I don't know that it makes as much sense. I think that's a great point. I, I had not thought of that at all. And I think that's that's a wonderful point of why it probably should be be up to that level. Because like you said, you're in a given year, if you have Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, if Texas is back, Auburn, Texas A&M, whatever, I just named six teams who hypothetically in a given year could be all ranked in the top 15, and right? And would be better than any Pac-12 team right, right now. So I, I think you're right. I think it makes sense, and it's unfortunate because I know people get SEC fatigue, and it's like, oh, here we go again. We have Georgia versus Alabama in the playoff or in the title game, or we have these same teams all over again, and oh, now we're going to have a 12-team playoff, and it's just going to be four SEC teams, but... The way that this realignment has gone, it, it almost kind of pigeonholes you in there. I, I wish this would have happened earlier, though, that we could have got this expanded playoff in 2023 um, because I, I, I do hope that one positive of this, once they do expand, because it's inevitably going to expand, it's just a matter of when at this point, is that by more teams making the playoff, even for the first few years, like Alabama, of course, they're going to crush whatever eight seed they have to play. <laughs> but after the first few years of that, getting more exposure for those schools being in high leverage games that gets them to the playoff, being covered in that way that instead of us just talking about the same five programs for the four spots, it's, hey, but this team's ranked 10th, but we get to talk about them and cover them a lot more now from like an ESPN or national level because of the fact they could make the playoff if they win this game. I'm hoping that leads to more balance of recruiting and it leads to more long-term, a little bit more parity. I think to, to counteract your argument in terms of balance of recruiting, now with NIL and everything, that quote unquote balance of recruiting, that that's out the window. Sorry. That's gone. That's 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 impossible to even come close to remotely finding an achievement there. I, I don't I don't think that's ever going to be possible ever now with NIL and everything else that goes into recruiting and now basically open season, right? So I put that out the window. But to on your other points about teams getting blown out, that was the argument back in twenty seventeen against the expanded playoff was it was going to be people were like oh well, who wants to see Alabama beat beat undefeated UCF by 40 in the first round like so from that standpoint that argument I don't know if I it's guess, already happening yeah I mean every every semifinal game is a blowout yeah that, that actually is true that actually is true I mean when's when's the last time we've had like three really good games you might have to go back to the first year of the playoff 2013 right Florida no State, Oregon, then it was no, Florida it was State, Oregon, and who else? It was uh, Ohio State, Alabama. The Ohio State, Alabama was a good game. Oregon beat Florida State like sixty to twenty. 
Okay. Is every year. Every year. All the playoffs. They suck. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like there's going to be expansion. So, I guess I'll add to this. If you know there's 12 teams in there, and Big 12's losing Oklahoma and Texas, will Kansas appear in a playoff in the next 30 years? 30 years? That's a long time. It is. It's a lot of time to play with. That's a long time. Because, okay, if I look at, obviously, the, the college football playoff rankings are different than the AP people. Yeah. They just are. We know that. Yeah. But I don't have college football playoff rankings to go on in past years. So, if we look at past seasons for KU, there was the 1890-whatever season where they went undefeated, but I don't want to go back <laughs> that far. Let's go to the AP poll era. So, this is from 1936 on. That gives you so that's eight, that's almost 85 90 years. years. Yeah, almost, almost 90, 90 years. years. Almost 90 years. They finished ranked 7th. In 1968, but that was after losing the Orange Bowl. So they were, before that, they got up to as high as three. So that team probably playoff team. 2007, playoff team, right? Um, they they uh, finished. Mean, are we sure? I guess it's not a for sure. We'd have to look at it. But they you'd were. Have, you'd have to like retroactively. Like going into the Orange Bowl? Seventh or eighth? Yeah, you'd, you'd have to like retroactively go back. And look at the conference winners <laughs> and, and stuff. And, and, be and it's committee. also different because with. The group of like five, the, it's different with like the Big East back yeah. in the day and stuff. But and you have, um, you'd have to be like, I am the committee and go back and. But they definitely would have been top twelve. So uh, nineteen ninety five, they reached as high as number six. They finished number nine. That team would have had a shot at it. Nineteen sixty, they reached as high as fifth, and finished eleventh. Nineteen forty seven, they lost the Orange Bowl. They were ranked twelfth. So that team would have had a shot at. It. So I guess the point is, you would have had a shot at like five playoff appearances in ninety years, which doesn't sound great. And it's not, but if you view it from the standpoint of that's once, once every 18, years. 19 years. Yeah. So if I'm giving you 30 years. I'm still saying no. Okay. <laughs> I'll take I'm it. Still, I'll be the optimist. I'm still saying no. I'll be the optimist. But then you're going to get to year 28 if you take that and you're like, uh-oh, they got to do it now. <laughs> um, okay, I do want to get to uh, one other piece of news here. It's from the Big 12. This is from Pete Thamel earlier today. The Big 12 and its TV partners, Fox and ESPN, have agreed to enter early contract discussions about the league's next television deal. The conversations will begin soon and come a year and a half before the contract's exclusive negotiation window. This is interesting. A couple things. One of note, he mentioned Fox and ESPN being in on this. So, makes sense. ESPN wasn't involved in the Big Ten stuff. ESPN does have the SEC, but ESPN needs to enhance its portfolio, I guess, and get in on other teams, which you see Amazon was trying to get in on the bidding. Or I forget if it was Amazon on Apple TV. I thought it was Amazon, right? Okay, yeah. Amazon was trying to get on the Big Ten. Supposedly offered them a lot of money, but they didn't take it. That tells me Amazon's going to be chomping at the bit here to possibly get involved. And if ESPN is sitting there going, we can't be left out of another conference... That could create a nice little bidding war between the two of those. I think this is genius from the Big 12, and here's why. What's to stop the Big 12 from restructuring this deal, whatever, or creating a new deal, whatever, and doing the exact same thing that the Big 10 just did in their deal mm -hmm. in, in the sense of adding a bunch of clauses of like, well, if we have this number of teams, this number of teams, this number of teams, and getting in front of the Pac-12, because right now it's all about financial security, right? And if the Big 12 secures that before the Pac-12, and they go to the Pac-12 and they say, hey, Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon, what's up? What are you guys doing? You guys don't, you guys aren't locked in. What's up? What's going on? We got the, we just signed our new deal here right here. We got incentives for adding more teams, whatever, right? This is genius from the Big 12. Really genius. To open up their negotiations like this, it, it, the Pac-12 
whatever shaky ground they were already on, to me, this makes it way more shaky. Because now the Big 12 can do that. They can restructure their deal and then turn around and go straight to the Pac-12 schools that are maybe questioning what they're going to do and say, hey, we've got financial security locked in through X year. Come on down. What are you waiting on? You don't have anything right now in the Pac-12. So to me, it it's a genius play by the Big 12, and I think it signals that the Big 12 is serious about expanding and and getting some of these Pac-12 teams, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely, because you see the Pac-12, like they started their media rights a little bit early here and what they're trying to get. Um, so the idea there is the Pac-12 can be like, well, here's the big sum of money, Pac-12 schools, you should stay, and now you signed into this long-term deal. It's going to be hard for you to get out, and you're going to have to pay expensive fees if you do want to leave for the Big 12. So the Big 12 says, like what you were saying, let's cut in front, let's let's get to the, you know, the line at the same point here, and then instead of it being that situation, we can tell the Pac-12 schools, hey, we know that you're about to get this much money. Why don't you stick with us? Because this is how much money you're going to get with us. And knowing this ESPN Amazon stuff, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they bid up on on the Pac-12 as well. I would just think that the Big 12's value is going to be pretty good here, especially compared to the Pac-12. Now, it is a little unclear as part of this whether this would be an extension to the deal, which ends in the 2024-25 season or if it would just be a new deal, because I would imagine it's an extension. If you do a new deal, that means you're scrapping this one, creating a new one, and then at that point, Texas and Oklahoma would be free to leave without yeah. paying their structure. So it's got to be an extension. But I did want to add one thought on that. Is there? I know it's there's a lot of different facets involved in terms of the financial whatever, buyouts, whatever, but is there, to me, this is a sense of if they do want to do it, would there be any reason why the Big 12 would want to boot out Oklahoma and Texas sooner rather than later? It's if, like, I, I was thinking about this. Like, would if they, they were they willing would to pay. Do, they, would they want to do that? Would they want to make a brand new deal and allow Texas and Oklahoma to walk if they thought that for sure they were going to get Pac-12 schools immediately into the fold? That's That was my thought process. It's like, it's like you know what? The Big 12 is saying, you know what? Screw you, Texas. Screw you, Oklahoma. We're gonna make a new deal regardless. You 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 want out anyways, so we'll just we'll make the first move. See I mean, you. it's goodbye, it, and we'll take some Pac-12 schools. In it's not impossible, right? If if they because think about it, if ESPN is negotiating here, they could be viewing it from a standpoint of, hey, we're willing to pay you more if you bring on these Pac-12 schools and to give you this deal now. That's a new deal because it's also we have a deal with SEC, and so it's gonna save us money. If we have Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC, and it's going to make us more money on the SEC, so yeah, you you could be right. Maybe ESPN would, I mean, would want know. to conduct I'm, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking a lot here. Like when you wrote when you made that point, I was thinking in my head like, would there be a reason why the Big Twelve would want Texas and Oklahoma out sooner rather than later? Because obviously, like the big aspect of it is, oh well, if you let them out, then they don't have to pay their buyout or whatever, right? But like maybe the Big Twelve. If they think they can make more on the on a new deal plus adding in additional Pac-12 schools, if they, if they think they can collectively make more on that, maybe they are willing to just say, you know what, Oklahoma, Texas, we're done. Like we're we're done. Get out of here. Yeah, I I think you're right. I just don't expect it to happen because the way I see it is those schools are so valuable. Why would you want to to lose That's what I'm that like, money? It would have on to be years. like it would have to be a really 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 big offer from ESPN and Fox mm-hmm. plus. Plus, you'd have to be like I don't think it's a move they would the Big Twelve would be able to make unless they like had one hundred percent in writing Oregon, 
Arizona, Arizona State, Washington, whoever coming to the Big Twelve, right? Like, yeah. like you can't. That's not a move you can make and be like, oh well, I hope this other stuff works out. Like, it's got to be something where you 100% know ESPN Fox is giving us X number more dollars than what we're all going to get. We already have commitments from these Pac-12 schools to join the Big 12. Then we're going to sign on the dotted line and goodbye Oklahoma and Texas. Mm-hmm. I think you're right in that regard. So we'll see what ends up happening. And if a big number comes in for the Big 12, that's probably a good sign for being able to maybe poach some of those Pac-12 schools. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.